Hello, Internet. Welcome to episode 107 of the Assorted Calibers podcast, the second minute podcast that is a little bit for everyone. I'm Weird Beard, and with me, as always, is my lovely hostess, Erin Paulette. How are you doing? Uh, I'm having closet problems. So, for people who don't follow my page, um, no, it actually wasn't last week. It was the week before then, right before I left for confinement, the... The shelf, the 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 wire metal hangy thing that is sort of a combination shelf and place to hang clothes, decided that it was tired of doing that and tore out of the dry rock and fell. And my closet basically exploded. And I went, I don't have time to deal with this because I was about to leave for like five days. And so I got back. And uh, and ever since I've gotten back, I've been working on clearing it out, and that's a major pain, cause uh, there's there's a lot of stuff in my closet, har har, and uh, you know I've got to bag it up and put it out in the garage, cause I don't have room for it in my room, and it's just it's been a major pain in the butt. I've been working on it for over a week now. I, I'm getting close to being done. I'm somewhere between like two thirds and three fourths done. But it's it's a real, real pain. And then once I've got all the stuff cleared out, then we're going to have to patch up the holes and put the new one in. And it's just, I, I didn't need this. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, it is not a tragedy. It is an inconvenience. But it's a big, massive inconvenience. It's It's the inconvenience of, like, having the runs for 12 hours. You know, it's, you know, you'll get through it, but, oh, you're so, so over it when you still have hours or days left to go. And I'm just, I'm, I'm dealing with it. I, hopefully by the time we get done, um, hopefully by the next time we record, at the very least, it'll all be cleaned out. I don't know if I'll have a functioning closet or not, but, you know, at least I'll, I'll be done with taking stuff up and putting it in containers and, doing that sort of thing and then you gotta put it all back in once you fix it <laughs> i know i'm trying not to think about that oh, i mean it's, to be fair we, we all know pain is cumulative if you drop something on your foot and stand up quickly and hit your head on an on a sh- overhead shelf and all that you know that that hitting your head hurts far worse when you're dealing with other pain or I think I talked about this in a blooper reel. There was one morning where I woke up and I'd slept poorly and it just, I was just in a crappy mood. It was a crappy day. I might even had a little bit of a hangover going on. That's, that sounds about reasonable for how, how crappy I remember, remember that morning. And then I was just <laughs> making a sandwich and I'd put a, a hot pepper on the sandwich and then I scratched my eye <laughs> and I. <laughs> Every, any one of those things would not have been a problem, but once my eyes started burning after that crappy morning, I just said, I'm going back to bed. I'm calling it sick and going back to bed. Yeah. I remember you saying that. Yeah. That's, that, that's a lot of my life. And okay. Maybe I have a short temper. I don't know. All I know is that it feels like a lot of times I've I've got the little minor things that just accumulate, 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 and then finally I snap, and I react unreasonably for that one particular thing, but when you take all of it in aggregate into account, it kind of makes sense, but, like, the people I end up snapping at don't necessarily know that, so I end up having to say, look, I'm not mad at you, just having a really bad day, I'm gonna go back to my room and be antisocial for a while. Ah. Yeah, and, and to be fair, nobody has a short fuse in 2020. Because guess what? It's it's been burning now for oh so long. Oh, it's this has been just a, such an awful year. And I love like listening to other podcasts and be just hearing people talking about yeah, 2020 sucks. And it's just one of those like I always tell people like one of the things I loved about going to college is it's like a little city. Like self-contained city, except for everybody in the city is a college student. So you're walking down the d- 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 down the street, 
going down there and you got a backpack on your back and somebody's walking the other way and they've got a backpack and you know you're a 20 something and they're a 20 something and it's one of those like yeah you're probably going to class they're probably going to class they're probably studying for finals they're studying for finals everyone you know the whole school changes depending on what the the time of the year is is it finals are we just coming back from break are we getting ready to go to break and all that everything the whole thing is just living and breathing because everyone's got a mutual experience and that is what this is doing. Unfortunately, the mutual experience is awful, <laughs> but uh, at least there's some catharsis knowing, uh, yeah, I'm hurting and so is everybody else. Though, to be fair, Aaron, I'm actually not hurting all that much because uh, my parents were insistent. It was uh, this uh, last week was uh, my wife and I's 15th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And my parents, I mean, let's be honest, it's all selfishness. They were just the, we want the kid. <laughs> it's like, hey, anniversary present. How about you drive up to the New Hampshire State Liquor Store? We will drive down to the New Hampshire State Liquor Store. You give us the kid. and We both go on our own way. And I said, you know what? It's the, the, the day before had been her last day of kindergarten, and it, it did not go well. It was very, not even bittersweet, just straight up bitter. Just the our Aww. her fight her literally the final day of kindergarten involved us getting into the car, driving down the street that the school is on. There's a little cul-de-sac at the end where you drop kids off in the morning, and we drove around the circle, and all the teachers were lined up on the circle, some wearing masks, some not, just waving. And that was that was the last day of school, and it was just one of those like I there were tears running down my face as I was dry as I was driving back because. Not not because it was one of those like, oh, I'm so happy she's going to be just the wow. She just got robbed of her kindergarten year. Like, that's that. And so it was not a the rest of the day continued on because small children, they could they, when they get big feelings, it bubbles out everywhere. And so, yeah, it was a rough day. And my parents are like, we'll take the kid. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and the, my wife would like come downstairs and be like, oh, I got done editing the podcast and I'm playing a little net hack and I'm just chilling. I mean, I'll do a little cooking and all that. And she's just like, look at you. And I'm like, just smiling. She's like, you needed a goddamn vacation. I'm like, I needed a goddamn vacation. So I had a little vacation. <laughs> and, and actually this, this week's going to be a good one. Cause actually we were wondering what was going to happen, but the, uh, we enrolled her in a gymnastics camp. And uh, they ended up saying, yeah, we're having it. And so they are doing like a socially distanced gymnastics. So our, my daughter's doing like cartwheels and round offs and things like that while wearing a face mask, which ugh, she handed me her face mask. At the end of the day and it was just like damp. And I'm like, oh, gross. yeah, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, kids are super gross. <laughs> but this was this. Yeah, was, this was surprisingly gross. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and so it's the but she had a good time and and there was a couple hours where she wasn't here and i wasn't watching her and I, I, i'm i'm liking the change <laughs> uh so i i have to ask because i think i know the answer but because you specifically said meeting at the liquor store mm -hmm. did you replace the the toddler's weight in liquor for your trip back I don't think she weighs that much, Aaron. <laughs> Let's just say part of my uh, part of my thing was to buy one gallon of Wild Turkey 101 and one gallon of uh, New Amsterdam uh, London Dry Gin. A gallon? Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't know they made alcohol by the gallon. No, they make them in half gallons or the, the, the 1.75 milliliters, which is essentially a half gallon. And so, yeah, when you buy two of those. It's like oh. a milk jug full of gin. <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, that's why I call you a professional alcoholic. Even though you don't get paid for it, so you're not really a professional. But no, you know why? Why, why let logic stand in the way of a perfectly good uh, nickname <laughs> or title reasonable. or whatever? Oh yeah. All right. So last week it was all weird, beard ranting. And no segments. So you know what, Aaron? Let's 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 give the people a goddamn break of weird beard, and let's just dive straight into some segments. Sure, let's let's give them some segments and give it to them good and hard. Exactly. So you have a lot of guns, and you want to keep track of them for insurance purposes. If you're like me, you just take pictures of them. But if you're David, well, 
Here's a segment on record keeping. Hi, and welcome to Gun Lovers and Other Strangers. With some of the things going on in the country today, along with other discussions regarding insurance coverage, this segment will be about documenting your collection. If any of our listeners have a Curio and Relic Federal Firearms License, they're already familiar with those record-keeping requirements. However, regardless of any other considerations, I'd recommend everyone document their valuables. In this segment, I'll be focusing on firearms records, but most of these points can be applied to other items as well. The first step is deciding on an inventory format. There are pre-printed firearm record books available for purchase. They can be based on the FFL-bound book or a private collection format. They can also be homemade. Any of these can be stored in a three-ring binder. Personally, I prefer electronic records. I find them simpler to update and maintain, but most importantly, they're very easy to back up and transport. I know people who have created a simple Excel spreadsheet to list their firearms in any pertinent data. This would not be acceptable by the ATF for FFL record keeping at this time. Me, being me, I created an access database with multiple relational tables. This also enables me to generate queries and reports as needed. As for what information should be in these records, at an absolute minimum, they should include make, model, caliber, serial number, and notes on any distinctive characteristics. In addition to these, my dataset also includes firearm type, such as handgun, rifle, shotgun, action type, which includes single shot, revolver, semi-auto, etc., barrel length, overall length, purchase date, purchase price, accessories, and notes. I also have a separate linked table where I can record any service performed on my firearms. I'm sure some of our listeners are yelling at me right now for including purchase price because my wife might see it and know how much I spent on my guns. Yeah, that's not a concern I have. Part of my reason for putting this data set together is so that when I'm gone, she'll be able to liquidate my collection if she so chooses and not get cheated. While some items are earmarked as going to certain people, ultimately, she decides what happens to my collection when I'm no longer around. In addition to this type of record, photographs are highly beneficial in case of damage or loss. I prefer to have at least an image of both sides of the firearm. I may also add pictures of specific markings or features, if appropriate. These pictures should be well-lit, in focus, and as clear as possible. While a light box or a photo stage are the professional's choice, a piece of light-colored fabric and a couple of props or stands work quite well. Once these records have been created, I have to keep them updated. That means maintaining the data set if anything changes. For example, years ago I bought an inexpensive 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun made by the Western Arms Company. This was a trade name used by Ithaca, which they discontinued by World War II. Mine was made in the 1930s. And, while mechanically it's in excellent condition, cosmetically it has some issues. So I decided to send it off to be checked for safety, cleaned up a bit, and, since I was involved with cowboy action shooting at the time, had the 30-inch barrels shortened to 22 inches. According to my database, I had this work done in February of 2003 for the princely sum of $56.16. I also used the Notes section for appropriate information on a particular firearm. For example, in my collection is a Harrington Richardson automatic ejecting brake top revolver. Including in the notes for this record are the details that this is a second model first variation and was made sometime between 1890 and 1892. Another example is an old 22 bolt-action rifle marked Sears model 42103-2840. Sears model numbers are a confusing code that changed over time. There are entire books devoted to deciphering them. In this case, the rifle is the same as the Marlin model 80, but it was made for Sears. While I could easily look this information up again in one of my reference books, having it recorded in the data entry for the firearm makes it much simpler. I can also use this database to store information about accessories, such as magazines, optics, custom holsters, etc. I could either record this data with a specific firearm or as a separate record. I generally keep a copy of this database on a thumb drive in my fire-resistant gun safe. If I travel, I also keep an electronic copy with me. In addition to firearms and accessories, I can track other things as well. 
Panya created a web-based data set for tracking ammunition. I really need to take the time to update my records in that program. Sorry, Panya. So there it is. Having a single record set of all my firearms makes it easier for me to track and review my collection. Add should something terrible happen, I have all the information that an agency would need to help with resolution. There's obviously more information I could get into on this, but I think that gives you a general idea at this point. Ahoy, weird lad! Ye best be putting me links in the show notes or you'll be walking the plank, ye scurvy dog! Ha <laughs> That about wraps up this segment. If you have any questions for me or suggestions for future segments or a comment on a past segment, please post them on the Assorted Calibers Podcast Facebook page and Aaron or Weird will make sure I get them. To find our Facebook page, just type ass in the search bar. You'll find us. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. I'm David, and this is Gun Lovers and Other Strangers. Me being me, I created an access database. Of course you did, David. David is a lovely fellow, but if he were any more anal, he would be a proctologist. (laughs) I loved at one point he sent me a PowerPoint presentation on his guns. No. It was and it was gorgeous. It was literally a PowerPoint presentation on old revolvers. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately went, Can I send this to Ryan Machad? And he's like, Yes, you can. And so I sent it to Ryan. And Ryan was like, Oh my god, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, David's not kidding when he says he said in one of his earlier segments on the how many guns do you do do you, do you want? All of them. Actually, come to think of it, no, I want two so that I can, when I put them on display, I can have them mirrored so that you can see both sides in the display. (laughs) Also, for for those of you that have uh, a a CNR license and you're dealing with just the the bound book that the ATF sends you when you get your first license, uh, yeah, you want to go look in the show notes. David has a bunch of listings for, for bound books that are considerably better than the junk the ATF gives you for keeping the, the mandatory records for your FFL. So you've heard him on various ACP shows, but now Superfan Xander is trying his hand as an ACP contributor with a segment he calls Independent Thoughts. He started out with a great idea. What if common knowledge isn't so common? What if you don't know what everybody knows? So join Xander in his journey of becoming a new gun owner. All right. Welcome to Xander's Independent Thoughts with yours truly, Xander Opal. David, of Gun Lovers and Other Strangers, asked me to do a series on the experience of a new firearms owner. I am more than happy to oblige. In any group, there are things that everybody knows, except the person new to the group, or even just a process. Not everyone is able to transfer experience with one thing to using a different thing, and with firearms, the poke-it-until-it-works method is a bit too dangerous. Further, the experience of being a new firearms owner, serious about being so, is is something you only get to do once or twice. The road to firearms ownership is different for each individual as well. Some of us were raised with Eddie Eagle and parents who took all the mystery out of those fascinating devices by showing how they worked. Some of us were brought up on the mantra of, guns are bad, only bad people have guns. Some of us were taken out to the back 40, as it were, and shown how to fire a shotgun as a teenager. We're all at different places as well. Some of us are training for the next IDPA or three-gun match. Some of us just bought our first gun. Some of us aren't even gun owners and are listening for the heck of it. Some have put down the guns for a time and are coming back. Amidst all these differences, there are a few things in common. We want to be safe, law-abiding citizens. I plan to start with the basics and work through steps I think are helpful. The most basic things are safety, and the most basic safety of firearms are the four rules as espoused by Jeff Cooper. 1. All guns are always loaded. Even if they are not, treat them as if they are. 2. Never let the muzzle cover anything you are not willing to destroy. For those who insist that this particular gun is unloaded, see Rule 1. Also, for those who insist that this gun cannot fire in this configuration, see Rule 1. 3. Keep your finger off the trigger till your sights are on the target. This is the golden rule. Again, there have been accidents 
or rather stupid moments where someone has said, oh, this gun will not fire if because such and such is uh, in place. The only safety that truly counts is the one in your brain. Four, identify your target and what is behind it. Never shoot at anything that you have not positively identified. Now, firearms are tools designed to punch holes in things with much force. I have used powder-actuated tools, also known as ram sets, to drive nails into concrete using 22 caliber blanks. Keep in mind that 22 caliber is considered by many to be the lightest practical caliber for defensive use. The four rules do not get in the way of having fun on the range. Rather, they ensure range time is fun rather than ending in tears. Now, moving on, the next bit of safety is eyes and ears. For the eyes, quality safety glasses are a very good idea. Weird? Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong here. ANSI-rated glasses are best, yes? In any case, this is to prevent ejected brass or spalling bits of bullet or target from injuring your eyes. It might not even be from your gun. The person in the shooting lane next to you might have something that throws brass quite far with quite a bit of force and might be shooting at targets with the wrong combination of target material, ammunition, and range. Your prescription glasses, if standard off the shelf, are not adequate safety glasses. The lenses are probably not made of safety material, and if nothing else, are not cheap to replace when badly scratched from that bit of brass that hit wrong. For the ears, I recommend doubling up with muffs and plugs. I have tinnitus from operating heavy equipment, and my first experience with firearms, the person who introduced me to a 12-gauge shotgun, did not think hearing protection was necessary. It sucks. It was made worse on a recent range trip where I just wore earplugs and someone 10 feet away was shooting an interesting, rather powerful rifle. A lifetime of regret from thinking that good enough was uh, when it wasn't. Lastly, when at the range, pay attention to the people around you. Recent episodes have stories about stupid range antics such as people approaching targets while the range is hot. I've also been on a range helping clean up the remnants of various targets when a small group arrived and began blazing away without taking the time to verify where to shoot from or that there weren't others already there. Thank goodness those people were not shooting anywhere close to me or the people I was with. That group of people almost was ejected from that range with prejudice, much well earned. All of these items have been brought up before by various people in the podcast at various times. It is my opinion that this is where everyone must, not should, must, start from when shooting. In future episodes, I will start covering more on experiences, such as the joy of purchasing my first firearm, as well as how to select your first firearm and where you should look for help in doing that. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, please help me. So, have fun, be safe, and I hope I gave you something to think about. So, this is a great segment for all those new gun owners that are flocking to the shops. I mean, that's... The data I am hearing everywhere is that the people that are coming into the shops and buying up all the ammo and buying up all the guns, which are in super short supply, almost exclusively are new gun owners and often what you would call non-standard gun owners. These are not rural white Republicans. And uh, I mean, I've even heard the Brady campaign is actually mentioning that, oh, yeah, no, these people are new gun owners and they are people who are from uh, the, the, the non-standard uh, gun-owning block, and they're trying not to sound terrorized by that. But again, <laughs> this is great for a lot of stuff. I mean, I remember back in the day when I first got seen the four rules of gun safety and people telling me, no, 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 memorize these, keep these, live these. And I'm just like, I'm never going to keep these straight on which one is which. Okay, I got the idea of how to be safe, but when someone says that's a rule three violation, what the hell does that mean? Because we all got to start somewhere. So you've made great points, and that's basically all the things I was going to say. So really, my only question is, is Xander still going to be considered the super fan now that he's a contributor? Oh, I mean, that's kind of a Schrodinger's cat sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. 
I mean, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still a fan of Handgun Radio, even though I've been the co-host of it for like two years now. Okay. Also, Xander mentions ear protection. I have got to say, my absolute hands down favorite ear protection is the Sonic Defenders by Surefire. They are awesome. They fit into your ear. They fit in nice and flush, so you can even you can wear muffs over them if you want to double up. Uh, but also, I like in the ears because when you're shooting a rifle when you get a good cheek weld you could sometimes pop that earmuff off and break the seal so then you shoot it and if the, if it's not sealed up against your head it's not doing you any good uh, <laughs> okay absolutely um like last year when i went to ladies day at the range i i had some really nice earmuffs that were given to me by oleg and and they were the electronic kind and he said they were like rated up to 50 caliber and so, you know, Oleg gives you earmuffs, you know that they're good. And they worked really well, except for the fact that I think it was partially the, the cheek weld, but also the recoil from the 12-gauge shotgun. It not only knocked them off, it sent them flying backwards. Ooh. Yeah. Fortunately, I also had earplugs inside my earmuffs, so that kept it from being a hearing damage tragedy. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, double up if you think you're not going to get uh, a good cheek weld or whatever, you know, if, if it'll interfere. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I also believe in those Sonic Defenders. I've got them. I've got them with me all the time because they're, they're on my uh, gadget holster. And so if I'm at a movie and it's too loud, which is kind of rare for me, you know, I can put them in. If I'm at a concert or if there's, fireworks going off just i've i've got them with me all the time and uh i i really really like them and so you you get really great value for not a lot of money also they have uh i, I don't know if uh, yours there's a, there's a bunch of different ones but mine have the little tiny plugs in the middle mm -hmm. of them do your does yours have that too I, I think they all do um well actually some do some don't okay but and uh i've i've got one of each actually yeah, and I, uh, I when I first got mine, I saw them. Actually, it was it was a Surefire rep that actually gave them to me. He says, "Here, try them out." And uh, and so I uh, and so I saw them, and I oh, they got this little thing, and I popped it out, and I'm like, oh, it leaves a little channel. And I put them in, and I'm like, geez, these really don't feel like they're doing anything. And I was even like rubbing my fingers next to my ear, and I could hear the sound of my fingers rubbing against each other, and just went, huh. Well, then I went to my gun club. And there was somebody, uh, there was somebody at the indoor range and they were shooting a pistol and I walked in and the guy was shot off a couple of rounds and I walked right back out and I'm like, nope, I need to, to take these things off and pop these little plugs back in because yeah, that's not enough protection for me. But I realized, I mean, it's an indoor range and the dude was shooting, you know, some sort of center fire pistol. And I went, but my ears aren't ringing. And so I've realized that like, if I'm hunting, or something like that, where I want to be listening and all that, I might actually wear those with the baffles popped out because they don't really diminish your overall hearing that much, but it does take a lot of the sting out of it. It's, it's kind of like uh, shooting a suppressor that doesn't quite lower things to hearing safe. Uh, mm -hmm. It'll make it so that it's not damaging your hearing so much, but, you, but you're still there. And, and uh, I know... There's been I see some readings and stuff like that of the when you're in the in the moment of hunting, your ears don't end up ringing from from the shot. But the, the concussion of the blast is still there, so it'll still hurt your ears. So anything to, to protect protect what hearing you've got left is uh, is good. So Joe Biden opened his mouth again. And you know what that means? I believe in fairies. Sure. And we're about to get visited by the Bad Idea Fairy. Fortunately, Weird is here to play Captain Hook to Biden's Tinkerbell and crush his loony fairy tale delusions about guns in this week's patented Weird Audio Fisk. <laughs> Recently, Joe Biden did a remote broadcast from his Delaware home with Wired Magazine, talking about the most frequent Google searches of his name. I'll leave out what I would have searched for if I started typing, is Joe Biden a... 
I will note that in the video, he's wearing those aviator sunglasses he's been wearing a lot recently. Not sure if it's supposed to make him look cool, because it certainly doesn't. All I can think of is pictures of Mr. Biden from when he was vice president and how he had striking blue eyes. And now they're just sunken and dark. Also, the video is clearly edited. Now, this could be because the video uses a prop board with the Google search results covered up, and maybe there was some downtime between the former vice president handing off the old board to an assistant and getting the new board. Maybe he took advantage to do multiple takes for best effect. Trust me, the raw file of this fisk is going to be much longer than what you're hearing, because if I screw something up, I just try again and delete the bad take. Still, if I had to guess, we've all heard the crazy stuff Uncle Joe has been babbling about. I wonder if that's the stuff on the cutting room floor. Does Wired have a blooper reel like ACP does? I think you all know what I'm going to take from this by now. What's Joe Biden's stance on gun control? And even following the career of Joe Biden at all, I think you know where this is going. Number one, assault weapons are weapons of death. They have no rationale for being owned by individuals on the street. Okay, so he calls them weapons of death. I kind of like this better than weapons of war, since it's not like soldiers are carrying Smith & Wesson or Bushmaster AR-15s overseas. But they're kind of weapons of death. I mean, they're rapidly becoming the most common hunting guns, and they are heavily used for self-defense both by private citizens and peace officers. Still, besides hunting, generally stopping a threat is the reason to deploy a firearm of any kind. And speaking of firearms, unless we're talking about the 2mm Calibri, all firearms are deadly. So that's pretty dumb. But what's dumber than that is saying that there's no legitimate reason to own one. I just said they're ideal hunting and defensive arms. Joe can try a no true Scotsman fallacy on me, but the number of ARs in American hands being deployed just for those roles, as well as the ones being issued by police and security forces, would quickly show that Joe is full of malarkey. Also, what's with on the street? Does he mean private hands or is he implying criminals? If it's the former, why say on the street? If it's the latter, why do you need a new law? Just send in the police and round them up since criminals can't legally own guns. They should be outlawed. They were eliminated. They came back out a 10-year elimination of them. Man, if they're editing for quality and this was the best take, they had a rough day of filming. So he's really wrong here. The 1994 assault wounds ban didn't eliminate anything. It ended the sale of new guns with the defined features to non-police and military. But the old guns were still around, and new guns without the features were built and sold. And sold in huge numbers, as the 1994 ban was the turning point from the AR-15 being an obscure gun to a ubiquitous rifle in collections everywhere. When the sunset ended in 2004, it just meant that the original features banned by the law could be sold to private citizens again. Oh, and crime was dropping the whole time during this period and continued to drop after the sunset. I failed to mention that this was also the period where concealed carry suddenly became legal in the bulk of the country. From the very beginning, you weren't allowed to have certain weapons. You weren't allowed to own a cannon during the Revolutionary War as an individual. What the fudge? You weren't allowed to own a cannon? You can own a cannon right now, as in mailed to your damn door, even if you're a convicted felon. No permit. No background check, no restrictions, because under the ATF regulations, black powder cannons aren't firearms. But even historically, this is malarkey, Mr. Vice President. Mr. Vice President, may I direct your limited attention to Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution, under the section on Letters of Mark. This was essentially a hunting permit for pirates. And the people who hunted pirates did it in warships. And not semi-auto warships, either. Some of these vessels were as well-equipped as U.S. naval vessels. So yeah, not a single thing Joe said there was even remotely true. Anybody think you should be able to go out and have a machine gun these days? And the answer is no, we have a rational policy. I mean, what is he even talking about? If part of my fisk is taking educated guesses on what you're even attempting to say, you're not much of a communicator. So let's speculate on what the hell Joe is rambling about. Is he implying that, like cannons, Vice President Biden thinks machine guns are illegal? If this is true, he thinks assault weapons, which at this point means semi-auto firearms with either a detachable magazine or a capacity of more than 10 rounds, though Canada is now banning single-shot shotguns as assault weapons, so at this point he could mean anything. And they should be illegal? 
So that would imply he just wants to outright ban completely anything he doesn't like with no grandfathering, I assume. Okay, maybe I'm going a bit too far. Maybe Biden just wants to move semi-auto firearms onto the NFA. So to get them, you would need to buy one like you would buy a short-barreled rifle or shotgun. I mean, handguns were originally supposed to be on the NFA. But if you've been following the show, I used this clip in episode 93. So to, to, to gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. Look, the Second Amendment doesn't say you can't restrict the kinds of weapons people can own. You can't buy a bazooka. You can't have a flamethrower. So yeah, while his words are confusing and probably could be spun into something a little less threatening to Second Amendment supporters, really, he wants a total ban of the most common firearms in Americans' hands. And he just so happens to be completely misinformed and likely thoroughly unconcerned with the United States gun laws as they currently stand. So yeah, you can go and buy a machine gun or a bazooka, just need to conform to the National Firearms Act and the Hughes Amendment. And cannons and flamethrowers aren't even considered firearms by the ATF and have no restrictions. But Biden thinks all of these things are as illegal as heroin and wants your AR-15 and God knows what else to be added to that list of contraband. Comforting, isn't it? No amendment to the Constitution is absolute. I also talked about this back in episode 93. There, Biden said, I support the Second Amendment. Second Amendment, just like right now, if you yell fire, that's not free speech. So like I said before, this is a common fallacy that anti-gunners use. Rights do have limits, and yelling fire in a crowded movie theater is an example of one of the limits on free speech. Of course, first I must add, yelling fire in a crowded venue is in fact very valid, if said venue is in fact on fire and needs to be evacuated. But yelling fire, causing a panic, and potentially causing injuries where there is no fire or danger is a violent act. See also inciting a riot. We can peacefully protest, and that is protected speech. But the moment that protest includes harming people or destroying private property, it is now a riot and a crime. If you are in a position to influence that peaceful protest to becoming violent, you are culpable for that violence. But the limits of free speech are not the words used, but how they are used. I could say every filthy and uncouth word imaginable, and I could even broadcast them on my podcast and I will have no legal issues. There are social ramifications, so that's why I keep this show clean and have replaced any foul language to keep the show family-friendly. I do not do this on the ACP blooper reel, the ACP mag dump, or the ACP film tracks. Meanwhile, if I was to say that people should harm an individual, note I'm not advocating violence against anybody, then I could be in legal trouble. And I had to put that disclaimer in and made a point not even to name a specific person in my analogy so that nobody would even consider that I might be seriously threatening somebody. Joe Biden is a public figure, so he loses some of the protections against defamatory statements. So I can say that I believe he is a jerk and committing treason against the United States Constitution. But if I say Oddball was a jerk and commits treason by carrying his yucky Beretta 92 pistol, in theory, Oddball could sue me for slander, assuming he didn't know I was joking, and I really think he's a wonderful guy, despite his love for the abominable Beretta 92. Note, I didn't even use any offensive words in my mock slander of Oddball. Same goes for the Second Amendment. We are not and should not be limited on what we can keep and bear as arms. Note the previous statement about privately held cannons and warships, but can be limited in the manner in which we use them. So a U.S. citizen could own a warship, and use it really however they wanted to. Given their expenses, armed escorts for merchant ships or pirate hunting was probably the smart choice. But there was nothing to stop an early American to have his frigate and use it as a private schooner, or a fishing boat, or even use it for target practice on ships he had permission to destroy or personally owned. But the moment he fired upon a friendly port or vessel, or even made a threat to fire upon a friendly port or vessel, that was a crime. Same goes for guns. You can buy a gun in many places, and you can carry that gun even without a permit. You can draw that gun and fire it to deadly effect if you feel that your life or the life of an innocent party is in immediate jeopardy. But the moment you threaten somebody or harm an innocent party with a firearm without just cause, you are now committing a crime. It shouldn't matter if the firearm you have is a pistol, a rifle, or an assault rifle. If you want to protect yourself, get a double-barrel shotgun. Yes, Joe, or a shotgun, or even a machine gun. Now, of course, 
That isn't the legal case, as we have a hodgepodge of laws that restrict our rights. I would argue unconstitutionally. But Joe himself misrepresents the colonial and early American firearms laws as a means to support his current plans for restrictions. So yes, your Second Amendment rights are not unlimited. But that doesn't mean politicians like Joe Biden or Donald Trump, for that matter, have the right to restrict which firearms you can use, own, or carry, be they AR-15s, pistols, machine guns, or bump stocks. Secondly, everyone should have a universal background check in order to determine whether they're capable of owning a weapon, whether they should own a weapon. Okay, these clips are getting stranger and stranger. Again, it's so odd that I'm forced to speculate on what the hell he's talking about. Universal background checks is a term coined by Michael Bloomberg, who is a massive backer of Joe Biden. And because Mr. Bloomberg suspended his campaign for president, but didn't officially end it, he can technically fund Biden's campaign and the Democrat Party without any restrictions. Which, by the way, goes against many of the tenets of Biden's platform for campaign finance reform. But then again, he also enjoys a Secret Service security team using weapons of death that have no legitimate use to protect his life and the lives of his family members. Still, per Bloomberg's definition, universal background checks simply means a ban on private firearms sales or transfers. Meaning, if you want to transfer ownership, and in some laws, physical possession, of a firearm, you need to have an accompanying 4473 form and a background check. But the 4473 doesn't determine capability, or if they should own a weapon. It just determines if you are prohibited by law from owning a firearm at that moment. Is Biden just going daffy here? Like his foolish statements about the legality of various arms? Or is he proposing, like some anti-gun politicians, that gun ownership needs to have both a training requirement and a good character component, like it does here in Massachusetts? Or where there was a chief law enforcement officer signature required on NFA transfers? The idea of this was, if you had a clean background, but were otherwise considered a bad actor or somebody with bad intent, your local law enforcement could halt the transfer or even ownership of firearms. Besides the fact that this should be unconstitutional simply on the grounds of lack of due process and the speculative nature of you being declared a bad character without any legal findings or opportunity to offer a legal self-defense against that, this practice often leads to blanket refusals. There were some jurisdictions where the chief law enforcement officer did not like the citizens under his watch to own NFA items, so he would refuse to sign any forms for any reason. There are also towns in Massachusetts where all permits are issued as restriction, no matter who applies for them, barring bribes or political favors. But even if Biden just no longer knows how to English or just means that as president, he will install Michael Bloomberg's universal background checks, it is still a garbage law because it accomplishes nearly nothing because criminals get their guns through black market dealers, borrowing them from friends and acquaintances, or through straw buying, all of which is already a crime. But by eliminating private sales, you've essentially created a national gun registry. Every gun made needs to be traced from the manufacturer to the final store where it's placed on sale to the public. And that final public sale is recorded. With universal background checks, every time that gun changes hands, it is documented. Further, if you have a gun and either the gun or you isn't old enough to be around before universal background checks and the gun doesn't trace to you, you're guilty of an illegal sale. That's some pretty scary garbage. But couple it with this. A Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. That registration is going to be the driving force behind a band with no grandfather clause. Because it's backdoor registration rather than the front door kind, you could hold out. Lock your guns up in a secret safe. Never shoot or train with them ever again. Never post pictures. Don't let anybody you don't trust with your life see them and hope friendships stay forever strong. And then you can avoid the confiscation until you die. And then the people who inherit them will either have to continue the violation and all the secrecy or turn them in. The anti-gunners are playing the long game. Honestly, they've been working this way since before 1968. But those were different times. So many of the gun owners were rural white sportsmen and concealed carry was mostly illegal in the country. Now we're looking at rioters, you're looking at corrupt police forces, or good police forces who just don't have the resources to be there when you need help. So people are keeping and bearing arms for self-defense again. And we're not just old white dudes who live in the country. There are urban people who are all ages and all races, creeds and colors. 
And we aren't buying 38 revolvers and rifles and shotguns with blued steel and walnut furniture. We're buying plastic striker-fired pistols and semi-auto rifles with 30-round magazines. And the anti-gunners are changing, too. Gone are the days of, nobody is coming for your guns. And now, they say, A Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is, they should be illegal. Period. Well, yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. They aren't even hiding it anymore. And you as a gun owner need to take them at their word. Those are your anti-gun talking points and a few rebuttals to combat them. So there's, there's one little nit that I want to pick. And that the letter of mark and reprisal wasn't just against pirates. Um, it was actually for privateers. And that's where we get into the subtle distinction of a pirate versus a privateer versus a buccaneer. And so a privateer is a civilian contracted by the government to ply the shipping lines and prey upon ships of a certain type. Now, pirates are fair game. Anyone can shoot at them. But if you have a letter of mark and reprisal, and you are in a state of war, then you can legally attack ships flying an enemy flag, and what you are doing is not piracy. And this is very, very important, because it means you won't be... Um, or at least you theoretically shouldn't be arrested and tried for piracy, you will be regarded as an enemy combatant. And that was something that really made the difference both in the Revolutionary War, and I think it was more of a, of a big deal in the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of um, uh, privateer captains. I, I started to say something like independent contractors, but that wasn't the case. And, and they were they were preying on the shipping, and that really hurt them. Of course, it also helped that the British were fighting multiple fronts, including Napoleon and France. Um, but I just wanted to point out that it wasn't just anti-piracy. It, it was, you were essentially the Blackwater of the time going, yeah, with this document, I authorize you to attack ships of a certain nationality, and we will you know, give you support, and when, when you come back into dock, we'll help repay you, and we'll help refit you, and, oh, look, you want to sell your stuff. You know, we, we, we will let you do that because you aren't a pirate. And because I really like pirates, I thought that was an important point to make. Yeah, it's no longer uh, ill-gotten booty, it's spoils of war. Exactly. And what's a buccaneer? I actually did not know that that was a... Uh, actually, I didn't even don't even know what the actual definition of the term is. I... I, I I'm, I'm aware of the use of the term, but I, I didn't know the specific definition. <laughs> okay, well, because you've called me on the carpet, I want to get it right. Okay, so you, the difference between pirates and privateers and and buccaneers. And it's hard to get, at least in my experience, a very nice, clean cut definition on all of them. Um what it seems to be is, I'm going to use the aphorism, it's something like, a pirate uh, preys on every single flag, a privateer preys upon only certain flags, a buccaneer preys on every flag except his own. Okay. And so, in that regard, they are closer to pirates than privateers, um, and the the historical um, whatever from them... Um, is that it was in the the, the Spanish uh, uh, Caribbean in the 1600s, 1700s, and what they were, to a certain extent, were they were kind of pirates to begin with, but they basically went, okay, so, you know, um, England is at war with Spain. So we're going to go attack an English ship, and we're going to sail into a Spanish port, and say, hey, we knocked over the English, and they're going to go, hurrah, good for you. Um, and then they would knock over a Spanish ship, and they'd sail into an English port and say, look, we knocked off some Spaniards for you. And they would say, hurrah. And they were kind of like mercenaries, only mercenaries get paid. They were just sort of exploiting it. Um, I, It's not the best explanation, I know, but in all my research, and I'm not an expert, 
I, I haven't really found anything that specifically says this is what a buccaneer is. It, it's very easy to say this is what a pirate is. It's very easy to say this is what a privateer is. And the buccaneer is just sort of that in between. Essentially, essentially the high seas version of Sanjiro in, uh, in, in uh, Yojimbo or, uh, or the, uh, the man with no name in uh, A Fistful of Dollars. Um, yeah, I think so. He's pitting both sides against, against each other and leaving you in the middle winning. Well, not so much pitting both sides as taking advantage of the confusion in order to enrich themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, Um. there, I learned something today, Aaron. (laughs) I, oh, I hope you learned correctly. I'll, I'll feel really stupid if someone, you know, like, like Logan, who actually knows these things, chimes in and says, well, you're wrong because such and such. Aaron, we are the worst pirate podcast ever. Thanks to each and every one of our listeners, and a very special thanks to all our supporters on Patreon. To become a Patreon patron, go to patreon.com slash assorted calibers podcast to sign up. Patrons get an early release of the podcast plus bonus content like the hilarious blooper reels, the ACP film tracks, and the ACP mag dump. Also, please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us on the platform of your choice, and share the show with your friends both online and off. You can get more from me at my blog, which is wordworld.com. That's W-E-E-R-D world.com. And hear me weekly on Handgun Radio on the Firearms Radio Network. And I'm all over the place. You should know where to find me. I'm a pretty, pretty pony princess. Thanks to Nate Spencer for our music. Um, yeah, there's something there about he jettisoned his kid for alcohol. And then there's something about me in and out of the closet. Har, har. You know, it, it's this this punchline is disappointing, and and honestly, so is our podcast. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Shall I shall I let you get back in the closet? <laughs> sure. <laughs>